joy forever. Amen. So if you have your Bible still out from the Old Testament reading, you can um, open that to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 10. Uh, we've been working our way through this book um, now for about a year, actually. So as a new church that launched not that long um, over a year ago, uh, we've been just working carefully section by section. Um, and, and so if, you're, if you have your Bible again, uh, Luke chapter 10, if you're using the, the Pew Bible near you, uh, this is on page 869. Again, Luke chapter 10, and I'll begin reading in verse uh, 25. And it looks like there's actually a, a misprint in the, the bulletin. It's not verse 1 to 16, but verse 25 to verse 37. Behold, a, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He answered, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Lord, we long to, to go and do likewise. But Lord, we, we, we can't understand this, no less do it apart from your spirit. So we pray that you would guide me in my teaching. Lord, I pray that you would guide us in our hearing or that we can understand and apply it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes you'll, you'll see this on TV where um, a, a, t a talk show might send somebody out on a, sh on a street. They ask people questions uh, on some topic, you know, the, the man on the street interview. And, I'm, and I, I've never seen it, but I'm curious if you did that um, and you asked the question, do you consider yourself to be a good person? Probably most people would say, yeah. They would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm, you know, basically good most of the time. But then, if you, if you look at how the world works, that's not always actually put into 
action. There was a, a famous story of a, of a woman who was stabbed repeatedly in New York, and it was witnessed by about 37 law-abiding people, and you know, no one helped, no one called 911, no one did anything. And, I, and I'll bet that, that most of those people, if you had gone to them individually and said, are you a good person? They would have said, yeah, I'm a good person. Would you help somebody in need? Yes, I would help somebody in need, but, but in, in the moment, okay, what do you do? Is it, it's too dangerous, I don't wanna get involved, somebody else is, is dealing with it. But a, a less maybe extreme but more personal example to me is uh, when Grace and I lived in, in Philadelphia, um, she nannied for a family. And so one day she was out with a three-year-old and uh, she had just been healing from a sprained ankle. She tripped, re-sprained her ankle. And she said, I, I wasn't there, but, but you know, she was you know, sitting there on, on the ground, like holding her ankle, tears in her eyes, little girl saying, are you okay? And people just kept walking by. She said, no one stopped, no one said, are you okay? Just, you know, nothing that people just basically stepped over her and just you know, kept on going. And, and again, I think if you ask those people, do you think of yourself as a good person? They would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I, you know, I, I care for people around me. But again, when push comes to shove, it's not my place. I don't want to get involved. Somebody else will deal with it. I don't have time. Um, and so if you think about yourself, um, where are you? Are you a, a good person? Would you get involved? Would you actually care for somebody in a, in a moment of need, or would you simply look the other way? And this is really what we see in our passage today from the book of Luke. Um, this is a, a famous passage, probably one of the more famous in the Bible, um, a, a parable about somebody going out of their way to help somebody else. And, and Jesus says in, th in the very end, verse 37, he says, to, to go and do likewise. So he's saying, this is how we're to love and to, to serve others. This is actually our, the, the model for us. And, and that, it's, a, it's a really high bar. And so to, to really think about this, if we're going to go and do likewise, let's walk again through this passage, um, just section by section. So first we'll look at the question. So that's verse 25 to 28. The second we'll look at the parable answering the question, that's verse 29 to 35, and then we'll look at the application from Jesus, verse 36 and 37. So the question, the parable, and the, and the application. And I would encourage you just to leave your Bible open because we'll be going uh, through this. So first, the question. Uh, look at verse 25 again. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so this lawyer is, is somebody who was trained in Old Testament law, was trained on how to essentially apply the Bible in detail to every aspect of, of life. And so he asked Jesus a question, and it says that it was to test him, that he, he wasn't doing this from some sort of noble, real desire to, to learn. But still, the question is, it's not a bad question. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? life. And so, in a way, that's kind of the most basic question of religion. Um, how are we going to face death? Because, I mean, every single one of us, unless Christ comes back first, is going to die. How are we going to inherit eternal life? That's something that we need to think about, to pray about, to reflect upon. But 
even though it's a good question, there, there's still a way in which he's asking this that something's a little bit off. There's a, there's a problem. And you might notice, and it's in his, his wording, he says, what thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's funny, even he says work, as if there's one thing. Just do this one thing and you'll be fine. But the, the Bible as a whole is clear that salvation is not through works that we do. It's not that we can do something to somehow merit eternal life, that it's actually a gift of God's grace. And so there's something off in his, in his premise from the very beginning. But, but look at how Jesus responds in verse 26. He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus doesn't just go off on this long discourse about grace and how he was asking the question in the wrong way. He doesn't even then say, well, you know, you're asking this from the wrong motivation and rebuke him for asking the question at all. But instead, Jesus essentially says, well, go read your Bible. What does the scripture say? You should know the answer to this because this is what you're trained in. You're a lawyer of, of Israel. You're trained in the law. How do you read it? What it does the scripture say. And this is because Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, had a very high view of the Bible, of the Old Testament scriptures. That he would always point people to scripture, not to what did the, the latest rabbinical teachings say, what does tradition say, what, does, uh, what do, uh, do any of us as individuals think, but he would always say, you know, it is written. Look to scripture, look to the word of, of God. And, and I think that that's a, a great model for us as well, that that as we are thinking about how do we inherit eternal life, how, how are we saved, who is God, that the way to answer that is what Jesus says. What does the word say? How do you read it? That, that we don't look to the latest guru, to any institution, not just to what we were taught as children. That could be right, that could be wrong, but searching the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And so look at then how the, the lawyer does on this um, Bible trivia exam from Jesus. Uh, verse 27, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so that's a good answer. That's kind of the, the catechism answer to that question. Um, and it's especially good because he doesn't even just make up something. He basically just quotes two passages from the Old Testament verbatim, but he, he combines them. So the first passage is Deuteronomy 6.5, commands us to, to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the, the other passage is what we heard for our Old Testament reading um, from Leviticus 19.18 that says that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And so in a way, those two verses summarize the Ten Commandments, the first and second part of the Ten Commandments, that we love God and we love others. That's God's law. That's his standard. So look at how Jesus responds then. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And, and I kind of wonder if, if Jesus, um, I mean, Jesus definitely has a sense of humor, but, but it's almost like he's making fun of the guy a little bit. Just, you know, good job, you, ans you gave a, a very basic answer to a very basic biblical question. You know, here's 100% on your Bible trivia quiz. But there's a problem in that he, he answered the, the intellectual side of the question correctly. But I think that, that what should have happened, and this is true for all of us, is we hear 
God's standard, that, that the call is then to turn inwardly to ourselves and say, say, how do I actually line up with that? And if he did that, I think he would see a big problem. Because the, the reality is that no one apart from Christ has ever done this perfectly. That we fail to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We fail to perfectly love our neighbors as ourselves. And so what we should say, like this lawyer, is, is Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or maybe even then the question flowing out of that should be, how in the world could a righteous and holy and just God ever save somebody like me? That's probably the best question. But instead, look at what this man does in verse 29. It says, he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he, he gets what Jesus is, is doing, that, that yes, if you perfectly love others and you perfectly love God, you can merit eternal life through works. But then he, I think that, that he does see somewhere down in his heart, I don't know if I've, if I've done that perfectly. I don't know if I've perfectly lived up to, to God's standard. And so he wants to justify himself, you know, maybe justify himself to God, maybe justify himself to Jesus or to the people who are, who are listening to this conversation, justify his, his question of, well, actually, this, yeah, I know it seems simple, but I actually ask good questions. What actually is the meaning of neighbor? Because, you know, yes, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and that's how I have life, but who do I know who I'm supposed to love? And if you think about it, this is a pretty smart move um, because if you, can, if you fail to meet God's standard, either you have to confront that and plead for mercy at the throne of grace, or you have to figure out a way of somehow lowering the standard. You know, it's that kind of thing of if you get 60% on an exam, the only thing you can do is pray that they're grading with a curve and that, you know, maybe you'll still get an A because somehow the standard will get lowered so you can actually make it. And that's, I think, what he's hoping will happen here. Of, well, maybe, you know, if we grade with a curve and, and I'm only supposed to love certain people but not other people, then I can actually do this and I can actually earn eternal life through my works. So that's the, the first section of this text, the, the question, who is my neighbor? But now let's look to the, to the second section, the, the parable. And, and so Jesus answers in this very surprising way. And, th and that's something I love about Jesus is he always seems to defy our expectations. He never answers things in the way that, that we expect. Because even here, you would think that the man asked for a definition of neighbor. And, and so he could say, well, everyone is your neighbor, or give some sort of formal didactic definition of neighbor. But instead, he, he tells a parable. He tells a story that ends with another question. And so this is not what we would expect. And I think that, that we, because we have, especially if you've grown up in church, but even people who haven't say, oh, he's a good Samaritan. They, we know the story that we get desensitized to the details. But if you were a, a first century Jew listening to Jesus tell this for the first time, this would have been a, a shocking story. Uh, and so let's walk through this verse by verse to see just how, how shocking it would have been. So verse 30, it says, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him 
and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this first, this first part of the story, this would not be surprising to the readers. This would have been pretty normal uh, because the, the journey from, from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 15 miles, uh, but it was a really difficult 15 miles. Uh, Jerusalem is, is situated at about 2,500 feet. Um, Jericho is about 1,000 feet below sea level, so it's a 3,500-foot um, decline in 15 miles. Um, it, it goes on a, a circuitous, rocky road with cliffs and rocks around the, the side. Um, and and there was, it was traveled a lot because pilgrims, you know, every year, faithful Israelite would go up to Jerusalem for worship, and then they would go back down to their home. And so robbers and bandits and thugs would often hide out on this route so that they could attack unsuspecting pilgrims, especially people who were, who were traveling alone. So again, not surprising. I mean, this is like saying that, you know, we, we have somebody who was a temple student, but I remember you were saying that um, your daughter was advised, you know, at, at temple, don't go on the subway to Center City at 2 o'clock in the morning by yourself. You know, if you, if you do that through North Philadelphia, you might be asking for something to happen. And that's sort of the way this is. If you're traveling alone from Jerusalem to Jericho, you're, you're asking for trouble. It would be no surprise if you would fall into trouble. So this isn't surprising, but look at how this starts to become surprising. Um, verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so, again, you're, you're listening to this as a first century Jew, and the, the man is, is dying, and you think, oh, good, a priest is coming down the road. This is the, the, the moral person. This is the religious person. This is the person who um, is well-respected in the, in the community. This is the person who probably was just serving himself at the temple. Probably the man who was beat up on the side of the road was worshiping at the temple. Probably the priest knows Leviticus 19.18 of the call to love neighbor as self. And so certainly he'll stop and he'll help. But then you see, no, it says that he passed by on the other side. He went out of his way, went around, kept on going. So it seems hopeless, but then hope is on the horizon again, verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So again, you're listening, you think, oh good, it's a Levite. They're not as high ranking as the, as the priest, but you know, this man also, he's religious, he's moral, he serves at the, at the temple. He probably was also worshiping and, and with this man who's on the side of the road, this, this you know, poor innocent pilgrim who was attacked. And so certainly he'll help, he'll, he'll step up to the plate. And again, no, he says that he sees him, goes around, keeps on going. So that's surprising, but nothing is more surprising than verse 33. It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now because of this parable, probably we have ministries like Good Samaritan's Ministries or Samaritan's Purse. Or, you know, we think of the word Samaritan almost in a positive way because of this parable. But that's not the way that, that this would have seemed to the people hearing this originally, that the, the Samaritans were descended from 
the, the northern tribe of Israel, so if you know Old Testament history, there was southern Israel called Judah, northern Israel. Northern Israel went into captivity before southern Israel in Assyria about 722 B.C., and they intermarried with the Assyrians, and then were in, they were resettled back into northern Israel, but then they combined essentially pagan and Jewish religious practices, so they still used part of the Old Testament, um, but they, they read it very differently. They didn't think that you worship in Jerusalem. Um, and so for a Jew at this time, and this is, it sounds harsh, but it's how they would have thought of it. They would have thought of Samaritans as essentially half-breed heretics. That, it, it was that much. Um, and that's why we saw this a few weeks ago in Luke, where when Jesus was rejected in Samaria, Jesus' disciples, probably through the same kind of essentially racism, said, Jesus, let's call down fire and destroy these villages in Samaria. And then also in John 4, 9, we read this, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans as Jesus was engaging with the Samaritan woman at the well. And so if we were trying to think of, you know, what would this be like in our, in our modern context? And I, so I think that if Jesus were telling this parable to, to modern Presbyterians, so you know, Jesus comes into a Presbyterian church, he might have told it like this, that a man was mugged and, and beat up and left for dead in Philadelphia. Then on Sunday morning, a, a Presbyterian pastor came by, went to the other side, didn't do anything. Then a, a Presbyterian deacon came by, went to the other side of the street, didn't do anything. And then a fundamentalist Muslim came by, stopped, cared for the man, mended his wounds, called 911, gave money, actually cared for the, for the person. That's kind of how this would have, would have felt, that this would be the, the uh, shocking, that you would want, the, the audience would want to put themselves in the place of the one who's helping, but Jesus puts essentially the other as the one who is serving and who's actually demonstrating what it is to love. But then the shock would have intensified even more because it says that how, how the Samaritan cared for this man. It's verse 34. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. And so we've seen the question, who is my neighbor? We've seen the answer to this in this parable and how shocking this would have been. But now third and, and finally, this last section, the application. Because after Jesus tells the parable, he turns to the, to the lawyer again with this very simple application question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And it's really important to notice how, how Jesus, he reorients the, the original question. He doesn't quite answer the original question um, because what the lawyer wanted to know was essentially, how do I love other people? Like thinking of himself as the, one, as the subject, as the one you know, doing the loving and the serving. Who is you know, worthy of my love and care. 
But what Jesus essentially wants us to do then is to think of actually from the perspective of the person who's beat up on the side of the road who actually needs the care in the first place. So, so which one of the people who stopped actually was his neighbor? And so you could say for, for us, I mean, if, if you or I were beat up on the side of the road, about to die in desperate need, who would be our neighbor? Well, our neighbor would be the one who would actually stop and care for us, who would actually help us in that moment. And in that, in that case, race wouldn't matter, politics wouldn't matter, socioeconomic status wouldn't matter, religious differences wouldn't matter, theological differences wouldn't matter. If we were in desperate need and about to die, we would be thankful for anyone stopping to, to care for us. And so then as we think, who is our neighbor? Who are we called to care for? And again, it's anyone whom God puts in our path and calls us to, to love and to serve. But as we think about the application, though, remember that, that this kind of love that we see here, it, this isn't easy. That this is dangerous, expensive, and time-consuming. And let's think about those. So first, this love can be dangerous. Because I think we, we miss this. We, we, we look at these men who didn't stop. We look at the priest and the Levite, and we think, oh, wow, those guys, those are some bad guys. They're pretty hypocritical. Well, I would have stopped. I would have noticed. I would have cared for this person. But remember, this is a dangerous place. Would we want our teenage daughter to stop and care for this man on the side of the road? Because think of all of the possible scenarios of how dangerous it could have been. Maybe it was a trick. Maybe they left him there so that other people would stop and they would then jump out and attack somebody who, who came to help. Maybe this person himself was a criminal and he had been um, hurt in some way and so by stopping to help him you don't know who this guy is uh, so you're aiding and abetting a criminal it's too risky and, and my, my brother uh, once had an experience when he was uh, camping in New Mexico he lives in New Mexico um, and if you've ever been to New Mexico like, that is intense wilderness you, you can just drive and drive and there's no one there and um, so he was on a, a deserted road and um, a woman, kind of distressed woman, suddenly like kind of came out from his car, waving her arms, no one else around. He stopped and, and she claimed to have just escaped from a kidnapping situation and um, want, wanted, you know, essentially a ride immediately out of there. And, and so my brother helped her. She got into the car. And, but even, even as they were driving away, he was saying, you know, he started to be like, okay, that could... She could have been tricking me to even stop. And who knows who else was there. I don't know what she's connected with. Somebody else could come behind me. You know, who knows if somebody's, if what she's saying is true. Somebody else is chasing me. Um, maybe she could accuse me of something. There's a, a lot of risk. It was, you know, a really dangerous thing. And, and when my brother told people about it afterwards, because it turns out that it sounded like her story was pretty legitimate and he was able to get her to, to safety and he was fine but when he told people they said oh that was stupid I would have you should have just kept driving you shouldn't even have stopped um, but again you think about this from what Jesus is saying that thinking from the perspective of the person who's on the side of the road you know if you've escaped something you would want somebody to stop um, and I'm I'm pretty sure that that the Good Samaritan 
would have helped her in that, that situation. But I think that for us, and as we think about our lives, this is not saying that we should be stupid. It's not saying that we should go out of our way to put ourselves in, in harm's way. It's not saying that we should, should endanger our family. But I wonder, though, even thinking about my, my own life, how often that I have rationalized not actually loving my neighbor in a situation because I convinced myself that I was just being smart, that I was just being safe. Uh, because definitely safety is a value biblically, but safety is not the ultimate value biblically. That there are times actually where loving our neighbor as ourself can actually trump our own safety. I think if we're taking you know, biblical love seriously in what Jesus presents. And so this love can be dangerous, but it can also be expensive. And I'll bet you that, that the priest and the, the Levite may have seen that sometimes if you stop to help somebody in need, it opens up this bottomless pit where you can just pour money and, and resources. They didn't want to get involved. And, and it was expensive for the Samaritan that he spent the, the oil and the wine that he used to, to mend the wounds, probably not cheap. He spent the, the two denarii that he, he gave to the innkeeper, and that's about two days' wages, so maybe something like $200-ish in modern terms. You could get a couple weeks' worth of food. Um, and even said, though, if, if you spend more, innkeeper, and I come back, then I'll pay the difference. And so he's willing even to risk expense, foolishly almost, in order to, to care for this person in need. And it could be that he's independently wealthy, he, he just can throw money around. But probably he was sacrificing in order to love. And I think that, that loving others when it's word only can be really easy. But, but it's harder to, work, to love people indeed and to, to love people with resources. And this is something the Apostle James talks about in the Bible. That if you say to somebody, you know, be well, be clothed, be fed, but you don't actually do anything. He's saying, you know, that's not real faith. That's... That's hypocrisy. That's not loving as, as we're called to love because true love can be expensive. And again, this doesn't mean that we give money to everyone. It doesn't mean that we're foolish with the resources God has entrusted with us. But how often do we not love our neighbor with the excuse of stewardship? But then third and, and finally, love can be, can be time-consuming um, because... The, the, the priests and the Levite, um, they, they were had to be ceremonially clean to do their work. And so that means that, and, and according to the Old Testament, if they touched a dead body, they would have to go through probably about a week-long period of cleansing. Um, and, and so they couldn't have even done their jobs for a week and would have had to spend, again, resources and time. Um, so this is like shaking somebody's hand with the flu, where, you know, if you do it, I mean, they wouldn't get sick, but they wouldn't be able to do their job for a week. That's, that's a lot of time. And so there might be even this thought of, like, I don't have the time to do this. I'm going to serve the Lord, to do ministerial duties. Somebody else will come along and care for this person who doesn't have the ceremonial restrictions. Again, put, taking one thing God said and totally misunderstanding the call to love. But then the Samaritan, he spent time to stop. He spent time to mend the wounds. He, he spent time walking because the man was riding on his animal to the town. He spent time caring for him. He spent the night. And then he was going to spend more time to then come back and, and check on him. 
And I think that, especially in Garnet Valley, time can actually be the more scarce resource than even money. Where it might be more attractive to say, okay, I'll just give to a charity, I'll give to a homeless shelter, relieve my conscience, and then I don't have, I can put my time in other places. Um, but again, I, I look at my own life. Have there been times where I've passed somebody who's stranded on the road because I'm late for an appointment? Or have I not really paid attention to a neighbor who seems to be having a hard time because I didn't plan my day well enough and got out the door late? Or, you know, I didn't, I'm, I'm working on my sermon and so I can't quite give my daughter the attention that, that she's asking, read, read a book, but I can't because I'm working. This is more important. Or I don't quite listen to my wife because I'm thinking about other things. And the way that we, we fail to love because we think we don't have enough time that we have to, to steward our, our time instead of loving our neighbor. So this love can be, can be dangerous, expensive, and time-consuming. But I think that this is also where, where the passage starts to come full circle. Because remember that the, the lawyer had asked, what can I do to inherit eternal life? That was his original question. And then Jesus says, love your God, love your neighbor. And then through this parable, he sets an even higher bar. This is what it is to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what it is to follow God's standard. And that's not saying that we, we shouldn't strive for this. But none of us are able to love like this perfectly. That, that we, we are going to fall short. Like this, is, this is too hard. None of us are able to do it. But the good news of, of, of the Bible is that, spiritually speaking, we are the, the people who are beat up on the side of the road. Um, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that when you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. And then Jesus comes as the ultimate good Samaritan who, who gives of himself, who, who binds our wounds, pours out his wine and his, his oil to, to heal us. And for Jesus, his love was sacrificial. He, he, he loved us while we were his enemies. His love was, was expensive because he gave his own precious blood for our sins. That his love was dangerous because he actually gave up his life, was, was beaten and abused to save us. And so we see then this, this picture of, of Christ's love for us here in, in this meal, the way that, that he, he pours himself out, he pours out his blood, his body is broken, his blood is shed so that, that we can be forgiven. 